Before we jump into the episode, here's a quick disclaimer about our content. The Remote Real Estate Investor Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended as investment advice. The views, opinions, and strategies of both the hosts and the guests are their own and should not be considered as guidance from Roofstock. Make sure to always run your own numbers, make your own independent decisions, and seek investment advice from licensed professionals. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Remote Real Estate Investor. I'm Michael Album, and today with me, I have James Daynard with Heaton and Daynard Real Estate. And James is the co-founder and managing principal of that company. They do apartment syndication, hard money lending, fix and flips, and also have a brokerage, among many other things. So James is going to be talking to us today about the fix and flip market, what he's been doing and how it's changing, and what we as investors should be thinking about as we get into this market. So let's get into it. James, what's going on, man? Thanks for coming on the podcast and hanging out with me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. It's no. uh, Anytime I get to talk real estate, it's always a win. I know, I know. And it's crazy that we like get paid for it. It's kind of a joke, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I'm still waiting to see the big checks, but... <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, all right. I'm going to keep doing real estate until that, that, that somehow I figure that part out. I'm right there with you, man. For anyone who doesn't know your background, know your name, know your company, give us a quick and dirty insight who you are, where you come from, what is it you're doing in real estate today? Yeah, I'm uh, James Dannard. So I'm out of the Pacific Northwest. Uh, we've been an active investment company uh, out of Seattle, Washington for the last 18 years now. So I started doing this when I was a senior in college, actually knocking doors for an investment company. And then once I graduated, we kind of just start building companies one after the other. Uh, went through a pretty nasty. Well, the 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 month that we opened our business was the month that the the whole real estate market fell apart in two thousand seven and eight. So it's um, we're very wow. seasoned investors. We're active guys in Seattle. We we typically do. We have a brokerage that does about two hundred fix and flip properties a year with our clients, and then we do about an additional fifty ourselves. Um, and then we we lend hard money up in Seattle, Washington, just short term financing, and then we're big apartment syndicators as well. So we own about two thousand doors in the Seattle market. Um, Holy so smokes! Very very active, very active guys. We like to stay busy. We work Clearly. a lot, um, and then also, <laughs> and now we started doing, and, and now we're uh, we're putting out a lot of uh, different types of educational stuff for people on Project RE, and then uh, on the market uh, for bigger pockets with that new podcast channel. So always expanding, always doing more things. But we are uh, we are guys that like to talk about what we're doing, not about theories. It's like whatever whatever we're actively got our hands on. That's usually what we're talking about. Love it. Love it. Well, James, I'd love to focus the conversation today on fix and flip since I think it's something a lot of our audience members are really interested in and it's just a super unique time seemingly in the market as a whole. So give us a little bit of insight. Are you doing anything different now than you were six months or 12 months ago with regard to fix and flip? Uh, yeah, we are doing things completely different. And, you know, and I think one thing that investors always need to know is the market goes up and downs. It's changing all the times. And so what you're doing, and this is why the fix and flip business can be so challenging. Again, we've been doing this for about 18 years and we've been in four different types of markets. You know, we had or five, you know, 2006 through eight was crazy hot like it was now. Uh, maybe not quite as hot as this last one. Uh, we had the crash where we were flipping in a declining market where the market was crashing 10% every month. Uh, basically, it was like the it was just the walls were coming in on every project. Uh, and then we were in a flat market 14 to 18 or 17. And then, you know, this last 24 months have been pretty crazy with the appreciation. And it, it's 
the last 24 months you had to do things completely different to make money. And a lot of that had to do with like timing, purchasing the right location, and and also interest rates. As, as interest rate were really low, the, the the pricing was soaring. And so now we're in a whole new new it's it's a whole new market again. It you know, cost of money has gone up about 35 to 40 percent and it's slowed everything down. So as flippers, what we've had to do is instead of just trying to secure a deal in the right location with low inventory, we're really checking the numbers and how we underwrite things is vastly different than we would do six months ago. Like six months ago, we were looking for that high data point and interpreting where the market was going to kind of factor in a little bit of appreciation on the exit, which would allow us to buy on a slimmer margin. Now what we're doing is we're, we're, we're buying at cheaper, larger spreads because we don't think the market's going to get the depreciation. And we're being very fine-tuned on our comparables. We, we, we just have to really dig into everything. And we only will use current market data because the rates are sky, they're moving around so much. So we only pull comparable data from what, when it, the interest rates were in impact. So like right now, we're only going back 30 days on our sales. We won't look at anything 60 to 90 days old because it was just a different market at that point. Interesting. Um, so, but yes, you always have to change. You have to change what you're doing on a regular basis. So we're, we're buying differently. We're underwriting way tighter. We're looking for bigger walk-in margins. We're being super conservative on our ARVs. And then also we're rebuilding our whole construction team as well to get more cost efficient. Interesting. So when you talk about like underwriting things differently or buying differently, give us a little bit of insight. Like what does that mean? And and like, how are you actually doing that? So underwriting, is, it's so key when you're looking at any investment, right? It's going to tell you, A, yeah. what, what it's worth stabilized. It's going to tell you if you're buying a burr property, what, what's your rent projection? What's your cash on cash return? And with fix and flip, the two major you know, I mean, the three major things in when you're underwriting fix and flip is A, the performa. What is the numbers telling you in the deal? Is it a good enough cash on cash return or return that you're happy with? The second most important thing is understanding your rehab costs and accounting for those correctly, because that's going to really dictate whether you're going to make money or not. And right now, because we're in this volatile market where we have cost of money is going up, the labor market's still a little bit messed up right now to where it's hard to get guys to site. Materials are still more expensive. It's mm -hmm. harder to find supply chain issues. So what we're doing in that market is we're adding 10 to 15% contingencies to every budget as we're underwriting. Okay. We also re-snap out our budgets every 60 to 90 days to keep up with the cost. Whereas four years ago, we had to do it once a year like update it, get our numbers down, but it's so rapid that we have to move things around. And so we're staying on top of our construction budgets. And then lastly, the valuing that asset for highest and best use, we're looking at how do you rack a return on each deal? Because you can look at a deal and skin it three different ways. You can go really heavy and go for the big margin. You can do it really light and go for a small margin, which you're in and out of the deal and get a good, good uh, cash on cash return in a small amount of time. But we're being, we're just spending a lot of time to dig it into comparables. We're staying very tight on our radiuses to make sure that we're staying inside of our neighborhoods because, you know, neighbor, as, as the market cools down, things like schools, neighborhoods, neighbors, all these things, negative impacts, they, they affect the values a lot more. You know, the last 24 months, you could buy a house on a little bit busier road or maybe have a little bit crunchier neighbor. And you can still sell it with no problem, but as it slows down, inventory increases, those things become kind of major issues for sale. So we're, we're really deducting negative impact properties. We're taking five to 10% off those on values, you know, uh, when we're looking at comparables. And then we're only going back 30 days because we want to see 
what the buyers with the same cost of money, what they can afford, that's what we need a price off of. And then lastly, we're not going to that high, high end comp. We're trying to stay in the cluster and then putting together our rehab plan to fit in the cluster. We don't want to be the super nice, expensive house right now. We want to be the most updated, but in the affordable masses. And that's what's been selling things uh, fairly quickly for us. Um, you know, the market is definitely cool to where we're not getting a ton of people coming through these houses, but we have 50 listings right now of fix and flip properties, and we're still 60% pending. And so things are still selling as long as you're putting the right plan in play. Interesting, man. I, I think that makes a ton of sense. And are you, have you shifted? I know you said you're not trying to do like the most fancy updated house anymore. Is that something that you have done in the past? Yeah, we do. You know, I like to go where it's hard. Uh, because those are the best margins. And it's, you know, especially real estate's been this this thing that's been, it's almost like Bitcoin, right? Like where everybody wanted in at one time the last 24 months. And so what that does is yeah. when you have the masses coming into the market, it really compresses your margins. And sometimes it just comes down to straight luck. Like people made a lot of money just because they bought something and the market made it worth a lot more. Not because they bought the right thing, not because they put the right plan on it. It was just the market. And so is as you're kind of going in, we would, we would go after more expensive properties. So like the last 12 to 18 months, because they're more expensive, they require a lot more rehab plans. They require a lot more liquidity. And to be honest, when you're taking out hard money loans that are over a million dollars, they're expensive to hold. And so the, the debt cost is really expensive. And so we've been in that area because because there was lack of investors buying there, it got us about, uh, we, we were able to achieve about 50% higher margins in that space. Because- Wow, just less competition. Less competition. So that's, we went from doing more cookie cutter deals. Like I used to flip about 100 to 120 homes a year myself. And then as that got more wow. and more compressed, I was like, well, why am I doing all this work for small margins? I'm just racking, like it's just wearing me out. So then we went to yeah. larger projects to where we could, we were focused, instead of doing 120, we're doing 40 to 50. So we've got to work a little smarter. But as that market cools down, those that's a very risky market to be in because if there's a, you know, a 5% correction on $3 million, that's, that's a, that's a huge hit on your bottom. That's 150 grand that can come right off the top, which can be a lot of your margin. And so mm-hmm. the, the more expensive properties we're being, we're, we're making sure we're padding in with a lot more walk-in margin on them. Um, the other thing about the more expensive ones we're staying, we're being more conservative on now where we've been doing a lot of them is because they take a long time. So you're exposed to a lot more market conditions. You know, if the, if the fed continues to increase rates over the next six to nine months, which they're saying they will, that, that value can swing dramatically over a nine month period. Whereas 12 months ago, it was just swinging up. So it was all win at that point. And so right. we we have started scaling back on the more expensive properties just because they're really high risk or we're expecting that we get our margins up even further than they were before. The one thing I have seen is not a lot of people are buying them. So the margins are getting bigger and bigger. Um, and so there is like that magic number for us. We're trying to hit at least this 50 to 60% cash on cash return on those deals because the extra return allows for any kind of market dip at the same time. But the key right now, because the market conditions are changing, they're going to be continuing change. You just get in and out, in and out, get your deal, buy it, stabilize it, sell it, rack your return, move on to the next. And so that's why yeah. we kind of pulled out of that market. In addition to as the market's starting to get a little bit more flatlined and stable, a lot of investors have already exited because they 
I mean, to be honest, they didn't have the stomach for it because it, it's it's risky. And so the margins have gotten bigger on the easier deals. So that's why we're also going back that way as well. Because, we, you know, we don't want to work on a project for 12 to 18 months on some massive project if we don't have to. Um, so right. we don't really pick the project based on like our own personal opinion. I would love to only do multi-million dollar flips because I just enjoy them more. I get to I get to do more. I get to do cooler things there. But I want to go with what financially makes sense. And so you know, for us, that's why we're also rebuilding our construction team right now. Is we built a team to do higher end properties. But as we go back to cookie cutter, we have to, you know, we got to change out our staff. We have to change out our contractors, and, and that's what we're working on right now. Um, we have full-time staff, like we're cold calling contractors, we're finding new guys, we're meeting them on site because we have to build that new bench for what we're trying to accomplish. Not every remodel is the same and not every guy is the same. So you have to be balanced with who you have as your resources. Yeah, that makes total sense. And because things are changing so drastically seemingly and so quickly, I mean, do you ever think about like a plan B if you can't flip the thing, would it ever make sense to put a tenant in place and hold it and almost burr the property? Or are you like, no, we're going to fix and flip it. And if we have to take a haircut on the, on the exit, we will just to move on to the next one. Well, that's the dream deal, right? It's the, it's the lowest risk deal, which is your burr style flip where, you know, because the, the hard part about the expensive properties, you know, if I'm flipping a home, like I got two going on right now where we paid roughly 1.5 for one and we pay 1.8 for another we're putting 750 grand to 900 grand into both properties wow and so i can't keep that as a rental like that, that no matter what sense. if we leave 25 percent in <laughs> no our mortgage is going to be 25 grand a month yeah. at that point and so you know 20 25 grand so that's just not going to pencil and so that's another reason why we're kind of backing off because you know the best kind of deal you can buy right now like I, I just got in contract at one that I close in seven days I'm picking it up for 275 which is about 25% cheaper than we were paying nine months ago for these houses and so we already got the wow. discount because the, the market's starting there's more opportunities as people get nervous and but it's a perfect deal for low risk flipping. And these are ones that people should be, if you're really nervous about the market, you should target these kind of properties. So we're paying 275. It is a piece of garbage. <laughs> it needs a ton of work. We're putting, we're putting like $135 a foot into this house, which is a lot for us for like a, a lower end okay. model. But it's, we have a hundred, it's a $110,000 budget for a 700 square foot house. It's that. Holy hammered. smokes. But that deal works it's just toast. <laughs> it's like, you know, the roof caved in, it, it's stacked full of garbage to the yeah. ceiling. It's, um, it, it's definitely a good yeah, one. It sounds um, like it. Actually, if anyone wants to check it out, we're going to, we're going to do a live walkthrough on it pretty soon. Um, lots of weird things in the house, but, um, the reason it's so good is we're paying 275 with our rehab. We're going to be into it like 375, 385. We can refi that deal even at high rates. If the, if that it's worth a solid, Four ninety nine to five and a quarter. Five and a quarter is a definite number right now, but we actually performed it at four ninety nine because it's about seven months out. So we reduced our value down based on where we think the rates okay. are going to be, uh, and that's the most important thing for mitigating risk. You know, you don't want to just look at the rates now. If you think they're going to be higher in six to nine months, you want to bring your ARV down a little bit because that means that property is less affordable at that that point. And so we have it performing at four ninety nine, which is going to be roughly about a fifty thousand dollar profit after all hard cut money cost, sell cost, and net. And so that's going to end up being like a sixty percent cash on cash return with our lender interest funding because we do fifteen percent down. So you know we're coming in with like sixty to seventy thousand dollars down. 
we're going to make 50, so it's a great return. But let's say the market drops down to 450, we can still refinance that property and get almost 90% of our cash back on that loan to value because we can go up to 75%. And our payment's going to be roughly about 25, 2600, and it'll rent for 2800. And so it's the perfect flip because no matter what, you either can rack your your 70% cash on cash return by a quick in and out deal. And that's a lot of work for 50 grand, but it's very safe. And that's why we bought it. Or if the market falls apart, which it definitely could, you never know what could happen. Then we can still refinance it. We can keep it and then hold it for two years and then sell it off later at that point. Or, you know, our... $200 $200 in cash flow, let's say we decide to just keep it and the rates fall down to about 5%, 5.5% to what they're usually around, our cash flow is not going to just be $200 a month. It's going to be around $800 a month. So you can you can target the cheaper, heavy fixer, smaller houses. Those are very good properties that because the price points are so low, they, they make it very interchangeable. So if you want to be safe in flipping, buying a burr is the best way yeah. to go. Because you know it will refi out, you know it will pay for itself, and you have that 25% margin, which is your profit in the flip. And so those are the best things you can target in this current market. It makes total sense. Have you ever thought about like on this particular property, seller financing at like 9 or 10%? Uh, well, so the, the problem with seller financing in that kind of scenario, let's say we got that guy to finance us 90% and we just had to bring in 10% at that point. I can get a hard money loan through interest funding at 10%. Right, you know, ten to twelve, pay on the loan balance. Oh yeah, you're in it for the hard money. And then we can also get a construction loan, which is going to triple our our return expectations. Because if we pay and we do ten percent down, so we give that guy twenty seven thousand five hundred down, but then we have to come out of pocket with the rehab of one hundred and ten to one hundred twenty. Our cash on cash return is actually going to be reduced by sixty five percent by not using a construction lender. Because with a construction lender, we only have to come up with the 15% of the total project, whereas the other way, we're coming up with 10 and all the rehab. And so right. that's the dangerous part about seller financing. Seller financing works really well if it's a light fixer, in my opinion. Or they're just giving you 100% financing with a closeout term at that point. And so for me, I don't really care about rates. I don't really care about cost of money. I just look on cash on cash return. And whatever the highest cash on cash return is how I want to set the deal up for leverage. Okay. Makes total sense. And I mean, James, you're like, you are clearly an expert in the space and in your market and you are so laser focused, it seems. And you know, Seattle, like the back of your hand, what do you recommend to newer flippers, newer investors that want to get into the space that maybe don't have that level of expertise in their market that you do? Uh, start baby steps, baby. That's the, the, the biggest thing. Where people I've seen in where I've gotten myself in the most amount of trouble too is when I buy something I don't know and the rehab gets out of control. And in the it, what the last 24 months, the appreciation would save your butt. It didn't matter if you bought a deal and you didn't quite know what you're doing, the market was going up miss. so high, it made you look good. It, yeah, yeah, you everybody looked good, including myself. Like it just the, the margins were absurd and. But if you don't know how to nail that plan, that's where you can get really out of control. Like if you spend 35% more on your budget and it goes way over your time frames, that's going to eliminate your profit and you better be able to sell that for top dollar or, or you could be losing really quick. And so the first thing you want to do is really take baby steps. Try to go for more cosmetics where you're not doing like adding bathrooms, changing out things, low permit properties where you can do more cosmetics, swap outs, tile, flooring, doors, trim, minor things, maybe roof windows. 
that will keep it. You can you can kind of isolate your costs a lot more. Um, the other thing that you can do is you always can partner with investor too. You know, bring in like a general. So like right now, what I'm actually doing because the market's riskier, we're doing we're, we're trying to figure out how to cut costs. Is we are now partnering also. So instead of increasing staff to manage more projects, we're actually we're we're running some projects ourselves to where we're generaling the whole thing. Then we are also partnering with generals now to where I'm giving away thirty percent of the deal to the general, but they are running the whole thing with my team. My team's going to go get them the paint colors, the tile, the design, the layout. They handle everything A to Z and they have a vested interest in it. So what we're doing is we're bringing in our resources that are starting to slow down on work too and we're tying them into the deal because it, it requires less management and it reduces the risk because the contractor who can charge you whatever he wants for change orders right now is tied to the deal too. So he's essentially charging himself. Right. And so... Partnering with the general is a good way to go. Partnering with another investor, you know, like I bought a, a flip property out in Scottsdale, Arizona in the last six months and I don't know Scottsdale. I don't have the same resources. I don't have the same deal flow out there. So I had some extra capital. So I invested in uh, a gal named Kara Beckman's flip. And so I was, she found the deal. She ran the project. I put up all the cash and we split the profit 50-50. And so there's other ways you can do, you can partner with people with the right uh, type of processes in, in, in play. Yeah. I love it. I love it. When you're underwriting a deal, I mean, they talk about the 70% rule and uh, as you're underwriting a flip, are there some rules and guidelines that you live by in today's market to help you kind of get a quick, quick glance at a property and know if it's a potential interest or not? Yeah, so what I always buy off cash on cash return because it's that 70% rule can be hard. It's a great rule of thumb, right? Like what's it worth? Buy it. Uh, you want to be buying at, you know, purchase price and fix up at 70% of the total amount, right? right. So for all the listeners, if, you're, if, if you have property worth 100 grand, you're trying to buy it for 50, put 20 in, and then you're at 70% at that point. Uh, and it's not, it's a good rule of thumb to do. So like a lot of times, even when I'm surface writing a deal, I'll just take the ARV or the value of the property. I times it by 80% because I knock off all my lending costs, selling costs, subtract the rehab, subtract the purchase price. And then there's the profit at the end of the day. Um, the one thing I don't like about that is the ARV can be so changed though. Like it can be 70% one way and it cannot be the other way. And yeah. so there's so many ways that you can do a deal. It's hard to put it in a standard box. Now, I think if you're in more of a cookie cutter area, like if you're in track home, track home bill, like if you're in like central Florida, Texas, where they're all the same, it's easier to do. But in Seattle, every street matters so much, whether it's like high crime or is it a better street where the schools are. The, the homes are really old and they're all different. So the rehabs vary so much. You can't standardize it as much. Yeah. Every project's its own beast. And so that's why I go off cash on cash return. So when I'm looking at a deal, I'm always going, okay, can I get around a 50% cash on cash return after all costs? And that's how I buy off of is that's my minimum expectation for a short-term investment. Like on, on buying holds, I'm always shooting for 10%. So like as long as I know my margin, that's how I underwrite correctly. Now, the market will change what my margin expectations will be, though. And so, like, 12 months ago, my cash-on-cash cash return on a flip, I was trying to get 35% with leverage in there. And then it would kind of bump up with appreciation. So, as the market slows down, I increase my, my return. And it, it, that keeps me fairly safe at that point. And that makes total sense. You're just padding yourself additionally in, in case something moves the wrong direction. 
Yeah, it's no different than how we were buying the last 12 months. It's like we were buying on slimmer margins because we thought there was a higher exit down the road. And, you know, so if you're in a really good market, you buy slim. And if you're in a really, you know, the market starts transitioning, you you start padding your performa. Or like even in the stock market, a lot of people were day trading, right? They're getting a, and now people are kind of getting more settled in because the day trading can blow up in your face really quick. The short term's harder to do. Right. And so you're seeing a lot more people just invest in the long term because they're like, hey, I just want a stable return, try to beat inflation. But, you know, as the market cools down, you get less trading in there a lot too. Yep. Yep. But okay. with the market cooling down, it has created some massive opportunities. So, I mean, we're definitely buying property way cheaper than we were buying 90 days ago, which is nice. It's We're getting back to like a normal system. Like we can buy it for this, we rehab it, and then we sell it for this, and we're going to make it roughly around this. Whereas the okay. last two years is like, well, I don't know what's going to happen. We'll see. It could hit. <laughs> yeah. And anyone's guess is, is good. So, I mean, James, like 50% cash on cash is like insane insanely high, which is amazing. And I have to imagine not all of your deals have hit that target. So can you give us a little bit of insight into one that maybe didn't go your way to help level set expectations for, for would-be flippers? Oh yeah, you can very easily lose 50% in flipping too. I mean, the thing about flipping is what everyone always needs to remember or the things I have to remember is I'm an investor, I'm making a decision on risk. And if I have the chance to make a 50% return that's an extremely high return, especially in like a nine-month period, right? That's on an annual basis, that's like 70%, 75%. Yeah. That means that that investment engine is extremely risky. Like you don't – like there's a reason bond, like CDs don't pay 30%, right? They're very low risk. It's like, and, and I feel like sometimes people forget like how high risk this business is and so you really got to stay on top of it. But yeah, I mean, we've had all sorts of deals go wrong over the, I mean, the first major fixture I ever bought when I was 23, I, I, 2008 happened, right? As I was selling it and I got flatlined. I lost all my cash I had saved in two years of wholesaling. And so it can go away very, very quickly. But I mean, even recently, like we, I mean, we had a deal where we bought a home, we got its permit, we jacked up the house and then the city came back, threw us back in the plan review, decided to change the whole plan on us. We had to put a new foundation in, which ended up costing too much money and the house fell over. It like basically just collapsed down. And so we had to build a new house. And so what? It, it's like it, in that house, we've owned this property now for three years because of the time and the restart and the new plan, right? And and we know what we're doing. And so it was just one of those things where everything that could have gone, oh, and then our foundation company walked off with half of our deposit. It was just, everything went wrong. And, and we do this and we manage and we watch everything. But sometimes things just go wrong. Yeah. And that was one of them where it was a domino effect. It was like, this went wrong, this went wrong, this went wrong. And then, you know, and so now we're listed on the market. And if we sell it for full price, which we've been at for 75 days, we'll maybe break even after three years. And, wow. you know, and, and who knows, we might take a haircut too, but that's just kind of part of the game. Like how I look at this, I don't look at this per deal. I look at this as I'm an investor. So if I'm looking at the stock market again, like if I look at my portfolio, I'm not looking at the one stock. I'm going, how did this work over a 12 to 24 month period? And so that's how we even look at our flips the last 12 to 24 months. Like some are like the last 24, we made too much money. Now we're going to take a little bit of a haircut. But when we look at it at the end of the day, 
it's still going to be a great return as long as we're buying and selling consistently. But we we have definitely had I've had all sorts of bad things happen on on where we've lost money. Usually comes down to bad hiring of bad contractors where we've hired guys, we've worked with them for five, six years, the wheels come off and they disappear with our money. Um, I've hired a fake contractor before where he had legitimate fake IDs and licenses and a business license. And he still had a business license, still had a contractor's license. That deal I definitely lost. I think I lost like 80 grand on that house because he he didn't even, it's not only he, he took my money, did a bunch of the work, was supposed to get permits, never got permits. I got red tagged. That's how I found out it was all a big scheme. A big scam. And, and we had to rip the whole house. We basically had to restart backwards and redo it again. So not only did we pay him way too much money, we had to redo everything that he had done. And so when you get in that situation, it's really hard to get out of that hole. And, you know, for me, I, I just say sometimes you got to take, you know, take a, a fist to the face and keep moving forward and go, and go that route. But yes, if you can make 50% returns, you can lose it just as fast. Yeah. And I think that's so, so important to remember because I know I'm totally guilty of it myself getting so enamored with these high returns and the big sexy projects and oh my God, how attractive it is. And then when things go sideways, you're like, "Uh oh, didn't really think this was going to happen. And you can get caught looking pretty quickly. It's it's easy to get caught in this business. It's, you know, and it, it, it that's what everyone just has to remember is you got to constantly be refining it. Typically when you're a flipper or developer, even a buy and hold strategist, right? You have to change your business plan every nine to 12 months because the market will change. Cost of money is going to change. Market conditions are going to change. Rehab is going to change. And so you have to keep changing as long as you move your chess pieces around and try to forecast it down a little bit. Then that's how you don't get really rocked. But, you know, at the end of the day, bad things happen. Sometimes just things don't go the way you want. And you just have to keep moving forward. And the most important thing is don't lock up. Like I back when I was newer... I would kind of lock up and try to figure out how to save the money and get the money back. But then you just waste time and you get bled out by holding costs because you're, you're paying 10 to 12% for hard money. And so you start to become, you almost are becoming, you're spending even more money by trying to pick up the money. So for me, I just try to keep it moving forward at that, that point. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. It's like almost counterintuitive, but when you look at the math, like numbers don't lie. That's really a really great point. Yeah, you got to look at the whole picture. Like, what, 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 where are your costs racking, and how do you, you, you mitigate the risk at the end of the yeah. day? Yeah, love it, James. This has been awesome, man. For people that want to reach out to you, learn more about your business, learn more about what it is you do. Where's the best place for them to do that? Uh, well, first, check us out on Bigger Pockets on the Market Podcast. It's an awesome podcast where we talk a lot about a lot of these strategies and forecasting and data, uh, how we change our strategies with data. Like what's going on in the market? Where do we see the trends are? And then the key is the change before they happen. And so mm. uh, we talk about it there. Or you can check us out. We do a ton of free real estate education on our YouTube channel at Project RE or our Instagram at jdaneflips. Uh, we, we're really just trying to get good information out to people. It's uh, it's not really surfacey. Like we get we get into the issues. Like all right, this is what happened. This is what how we're fixing it, and it cost me this much. And so we get very very specific training on our social media pages. So it's not just glamour shots of Lamborghinis and checks and that sort of thing. Yeah, I haven't got I haven't got to that. I haven't got my spray tan all the way on yet. And- <laughs> Yeah, uh, in good time, in good time. <laughs> don't believe what you see on social media. It's no, we're going to show you the glamorous uh, lifestyle. Of, uh, flipping is not easy, and we, we we let you guys know what we're doing. I mean, even for us, right? We flipped over. We've been in over three thousand flips. Stuff 
gets us all the time too. It's con we you just have to work with other investors, find out how to fix problems, and the best way you can do that is just communicate with everybody. Yeah. So definitely check us out. Love it. Well, James, thank you so much again for coming on and hanging out with me. I really appreciate you. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Take care and we'll chat soon, I'm sure. All right, everyone, that was our episode. A big thank you to James for coming on. Super interesting stuff and can't wait to see how they continue to perform in the next six, nine, and 12 months going forward. As always, if you like the episode, feel free to leave us a rating or a review. We'd love to hear from you and we look forward to seeing you on the next one. Happy investing. <laughs>